Hi everyone, welcome to Into the Archives. While our main sermon podcast, uh, Words from the Wildwood, can be found on Sunday mornings, this is more of a retrospective, a looking back at where I have been, where I preached, what I've had the opportunity to do, and the observations I've made along the way. I hope that you can look back with me at many of these sermons that have come. Some may sound a little dated, but you might be impressed to hear things that were going on then that are still going on today. I hope you enjoy this offering from the archives. We are back in the book of Deuteronomy. Let me ask you, when you were a little kid and you had a big plate full of food and you didn't finish it, what'd your mother say? Clean your plate, right? Now, when you went to school and you wrote all that stuff on the chalkboard, what the teacher always tell you? You need a clean slate, son. Erase all that nonsense and get ready to do some work. There are still some schools in the world where kids have little whiteboards and they sit down with little bitty whiteboard markers and they write their stuff on there. They do their math and they write their words on there. And at the end, they got to clean that slate so that it's useful to go on with. Here's the thing. We all need a do-over at some point in our life. You know what? We all need a jailbreak. We all need a chance to say, you know what? My life's going the wrong direction. Let's hold up. Let's wipe the slate clean and let's get going in a new direction. You know what I'm saying? We all came to that place when we accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. So tonight I want to focus on what it looks like to start with a clean slate. Start all over again, erasing all the muckety-muck of the past, all the mistakes and the nonsense. We are in Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 1 tonight, church. Now the first thing you got to do if you want a clean slate is this. You got to clear away the past. Whatever you wrote on that slate, whatever you put on there, whatever doodles and tic-tac-toes and other things you put on there, when it's time to get down to work, you need to clean it away. This is what it says in Deuteronomy 7.1. I'll put it up on the board for you. When Yahweh your God brings you into the land that you are entering to take possession of it and clears away many nations before you, the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and those blasted Jebusites, seven nations more numerous and mighty than yourselves. I'm going to stop right there. Of course, he goes on in a minute. But I want you to look at that opening statement. When Yahweh your God brings you into the land that you are entering to take possession of it. Why are they going there? On a sightseeing tour? Uh Uh-uh. They're going to take possession of the land. Now when you come to church, you can come for two reasons. You can come to look around, see who's here. You can do the political thing. Make friends, make future customers. You can have your face known and have yourself seen. Very political, very, uh, very religious, but very hollow. No, or you can come to church to lay hold of the person of Jesus Christ, lay hold of the Father, lay hold of the Word that we might be changed by it, strengthened by it, cleansed by it, and empowered by it. Now to do that, you got to finish it up. Now it says that the Lord will lead us into victory. He said the Lord brings you into the land. It also says that He clears away many nations before you. The Lord erases your past. When you come to faith in Christ, the Lord is going to erase 
who you were and what you did before you had faith in Christ. Here's the good news, believer. This week, you got mad and cussed somebody out. When you come to Christ and ask forgiveness, he erases that blot of sin on your saved life. Maybe this week you had a little attack of envy. Someone just got a brand new car and you want that car. And a little bit of envy and jealousy rises up in there. A little covetousness. You come into church, you encounter the word, the word convicts you of that coveting. And what do you do? Father, forgive me for wanting more than what you've given me. And what does he do? He wipes away the stain of that sin with all the disease and the, and the infection that it brings with it. Now look at who he wiped out. The Hittites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, and the Hivites, and those blasted Jebusites. Jebusites were nasty, nasty, nasty people. So that's the whole thing. Notice how he says it though. Seven nations more numerous and mighty than yourself. Sometimes you ever feel like the past is so big you can't get away from it? All your mistakes, all the things you've done wrong, you ever feel like they overwhelm you? Like it's just too much for you to bear? You ever hear someone say this? But I've done so much, I just can't change. That reminds me of Ebenezer Scrooge in the Christmas Carol. Talking to the ghost of Christmas past, then the ghost of Christmas present, then the ghost of the future. He said, I can't change. I'm too old. I'm too set in my ways. I'm too sodden. I'm too sick. Nobody is too sick for Jesus to clean up. Amen? But here's the thing. You've got to want God to clean you up. You've got to come to church for the specific purpose of letting God look into you, reveal your sin. They could look into the land. They could look into the promised land and see the disease and the sickness that was there. It was in all the temples. It was in all the shrines and the altars. It was in the lifestyle of those people. They could see it, so they knew what God had to remove. Now, here's the interesting thing. Deuteronomy 7, where we are, but if you go on down to 6 and 7, which we're not going to read tonight, we're going to read that next week. He says this, God showed favor to Israel, not because they were the biggest and the baddest, with the most number of chariots and horsemen and spearmen and bowmen. He didn't pick them because they were the biggest and the baddest. He picked them, why? Why did he love Israel above all of those other nations? Why did he kick out seven of the baddest boys on the block just for a scrawny, puny, little bunch of people who just got busted out of slavery 40 years ago? You know why? He made a promise. He promised Abraham, and he repeated that promise to Isaac. He repeated that promise to Jacob. Just like God promises you every time. You know, he says, we have an intercessor so that we don't have to sin. But if we do sin... If we confess our sin, then God is faithful to forgive us, to cleanse us, to make us righteous. Not that we have to do something, but we simply confess, God, you're right. I am guilty. I am completely guilty and unworthy of this life you've given me. Now, Father, clean me up. Cleanse me. That's the message that should come out of our mouths every time we turn around. We might we might go to that guy and say, you know, you are a drunken cuss. But God can straighten you out. You, you got a problem with lying. And you got a problem over there with desire. And you got a problem back there with lust. And spending too much. And gambling. And running around. But whatever your problem is, God can clean you up. Even if you've got seven big bad demons living in your heart and in your head, God can kick them all to the curb. Because that's what God does. He won the victory before Israel went in. And the only reason he gave them the land is he promised Abraham what happened. Just like he promised, whosoever believes in Jesus Christ will never be condemned, 
but forgiven and empowered and inhabited and made bold and mighty under the doing of the things I've set for them to do. That's a bunch of scriptures thrown into one. But see, if you're going to start with a clean slate, you've got to clear away the past. We're fixing to go into 2011. A bunch of us look like Ebenezer Scrooge tonight. If we could look down and see our legs, we got chains on there. And them chains is a mile and a half long. And the chains are the excuses why we don't serve God. I'm fat. I'm stupid. I'm lazy. I made mistakes. Oh, I can't live up to God's standards. I'm not even going to try. That's just weights that weigh you down and keep you from going where God would have you go. What excuses do we really have for not being victorious overcomers in Jesus Christ? There's only one excuse. I'm going to give you all one excuse. If you want to claim this excuse tonight, you can say that you are too weak and too pathetic to serve God. You know what that excuse is? I don't believe in Jesus. There's your excuse. You want an excuse for not serving God? You don't believe in Jesus. That's your only excuse. That's the only one that works. If you're born again, if you're saved, if you're sanctified, Holy Spirit filled, by the way, you can't be saved and not be Holy Spirit filled. You may have a gag on the Holy Spirit. You may be holding your hand over his mouth so you can't hear him convict you. But he's there, constantly needling you. That's what it takes. Okay, so after we clear away the past, what do we do? Well, let's press on. Deuteronomy 7, 1 and 2. After you've cleared away that past, here's the thing. Don't keep anything. Any pack rats in here? You're going to love this part. Oh, you pack rats. Here it comes. Ready? Don't keep anything. Deuteronomy 7, 2 says this. And when Yahweh your God gives them over to you and you defeat them, then you must devote them to complete destruction. So you shall make no covenant with them and show no mercy to them. You shall not intermarry with them, giving your daughters to their sons or taking their daughters for your sons. Ooh. Now we're going to get into a nasty, nasty subject. Here's the thing. You can't keep nothing of what you were before you came to Jesus. Amen. If you're sitting here and you've been saved for 30 years, and for 30 years you've been dragging around your past, and you've been dragging around excuses why you can't serve Jesus, you've got to get rid of all of them. You can't even keep one of them. You can't even keep the excuse of, I was the worst sinner I know. You know why? Because Paul said he was the chiefest of sinners. The chiefest, the most heinous sinner in Paul's eyes was Paul. Did that stop Paul from serving Christ? No, it empowered him. It made him all the more in love with the God who saved him and all the more excited to serve him. That was the amazing thing about it. He says this, when the Lord your God gives them over to you, you know what the word give is? Bestow, as in a gift. Your enemies that you have in this life, that's all those things that weigh you down, all those things that hold you back, all those things that have been said about you and said around you, God gives them to you as a gift, as a gift that you can take and do whatever you want to with. And of course, when God gives you that gift, you know what you do with that kind of gift? You take that past and you throw it away. You don't keep one of those things to remind you of what you were. You don't want nothing to weigh you down. He says you must give them over and you will defeat them. Then you must devote them to complete destruction. Now we all know what the ban is. That's what we always talk about in Sunday school. To devote means to consecrate and destroy. When you consecrate something, you completely give it over. You don't take an animal and burn the whole thing except for the hoof. You can't keep the hoof. You can't even keep the oxtail. Although I hear in some places in Africa, you can shoot flies with it. You can't even keep the oxtail. So you can't keep nothing of what you was. You can't keep any of your doubts. Can't keep any of your fears. Can't keep any of your excuses. Can you tell what I'm preaching on tonight? 
You got it. Anyways, you can't keep not even one thing. You have to consecrate it totally to the Lord. Now the idea is you seclude something in an area, then you utterly annihilate it. We know that from the walls of Jericho. They couldn't touch a brick. They couldn't take anything away. It all had to be completely annihilated. Now what it says this, it says, you shall make no covenant with them and show no mercy. Now here's the thing that throws weak believers and unbelievers for a loop. But wait, isn't God a God of mercy? Yes, he's also the God of judgment, okay? The God who made heaven for the faithful created hell for the faithless, okay? Because the faithless cannot dwell in the presence of the God who is faithful. And they had to have somewhere to go. And so he created hell for them as their place of eternal imprisonment. If heaven is our paradise, that is their eternal place of dwelling and they dwell in a place where the only thing present is the vengeance of God. That's all that exists there. To, know, to show no mercy means literally to stoop to no kindness. Now we all know that nobody likes to deal with these passages. Why? Because that means the soldiers went in and killed every living thing. Man, woman, child. Now this was completely different than typical warfare. In a warfare, you killed all the men, you kept all the babes, you enslaved all the ugly women, and the children you raised as your own. That's how you did war back in the old days. That was part of the booty, that was part of the boon from taking a town, is you kept all the good-looking women and you turned the rest into scullery maids. That's what they did back then. That's how it was run. But this time, they weren't allowed to keep anything. Why? Why couldn't they keep the good things? Well, why can't I keep all the things I used to enjoy doing, even if they were bad for me? Why can't I keep those things? I like them. Notice what it says here in verse 3. You shall not intermarry with them, giving your daughters to their sons, and taking their daughters for your sons. Why? Because beauty is only skin deep. Y'all think about it. The longer you married, the better looking our wives get, and the uglier we get. That's just the nature of life. That's just how it goes. Okay, that's just how it runs. You know, age is not kind to anybody, except our wives. And I'm going to keep saying that to the day I die. It's just going to keep me alive. Keep you married. That's how it, keep you married. That's how it goes, man. It's true. But here's the thing. What are you intermarried with? Now, of course, he's not talking about race here. He's not talking about uh, people that look different, have a different skin color. These people all look the same. They're from the same bloody part of the world. It's like saying, saying, if you're from North Carolina, you can't marry people from South Carolina. Or if you're from Kentucky, you can't marry people from Tennessee. Well, that's usually because all your relatives live down there. That's, right. that's another issue. But anyways, you can't marry the person right in the next town over. It's not for those reasons. Why is it that we can't intermarry ourselves with the world? Why can't we include the ideas or the wisdom or the knowledge of the world? Is there any, any true wisdom apart from the revealed wisdom of God? No. Okay, Newton figured out gravity. Whoop-dee-doo, you drop an apple, it falls down on your foot. That's not wisdom, that's just knowledge. True wisdom is revealed by God so that we might know Him and understand how to walk in fellowship with Him. Can the world teach us that? No. Can Eckhart Tolle, in all of his books of metaphysical crapola, can he teach us anything about walking with Jesus Christ? No. Can any of those Reinhard peoples out there and all them other guys with the freaky names you can, can they teach us anything about the importance of being faithful to Jesus Christ? No. They can fill your head with nonsense and ludicrous ideas that are exactly the opposite of what God reveals, but it looks good. And it 
this sounds good. A lot of these uh, New York Times bestseller books, complete heresy. Absolute, complete, total, unredeemable heresy. But why is it we're so willing to say, oh, I read that great book? Because it makes us look good in somebody else's eyes. You see, we want to be married to the world. We want the world to respect us. Why did the church embrace evolution? Why? Everybody who's ever studied the thing rejects it. It doesn't work. So why are we trying to change the Word of God to fit evolution? Because it makes us look good. It makes us look smart. It makes secular people who don't know and who hate God respect us more. Do you really want a godless person to respect you more? I don't think so. If they respect you, it should be because you hold your ground. You stand on your faith and you don't compromise for any punk, no matter how much money he's got, how many titles, how many PhDs and all that stuff behind his name. Education don't make you smart. Sometimes it just makes you educated. But it doesn't make you wise under the things of God. So you don't keep anything like that. Don't keep any of that worldly stuff that you find out there. Because we do intermarry ourselves with the world. We want to be like them. We want to be respected by them. And that's what's happened to the world today. Why is it that we have so many believers in the church, believing men and believing women, who marry unbelievers? Why is that? We know you're not supposed to because God says don't do it. The New Testament says don't do it. Don't be unequally yoked together. Why? You can show me 50 cases in this church where an unbelieving man married a believing woman and he came to faith in Christ. Fantastic. Talk to me about the misery they went through to get there. Okay? I'm telling you, God says don't do it for a reason. Now, if God used that as his method of bringing you to salvation, that's cool. I'm good with that. But as a general rule, when God says don't do it, it's not good to try and second-guess God say, Oh, but in my case... No, just shut your face. Don't give me your case. If God said don't do it, don't do it. Maybe he poured grace on you. But let's not make that the standard example, okay? Let's not pretend here. Okay? And I'm sorry, that's just, that is just the truth of it. The truth is God said, do not do it. And if, it, if, if your case worked out to your salvation, praise Jesus. Amen. That's just how God chose to do it. He did it for the sake of your poor wife having to live with you. Um, no, that wasn't a theological statement. That was a joke. Please disregard that. Anyways, I, I've come to find out, Mike, that you got to make those disclaimers. Otherwise, they just take it. Pastor Stidham said. No, I didn't. I didn't say it. I joked it. It's okay. Anyways, let's press on. So, if you're going to start, you got to get rid of the past. Clean everything away from what was. So you start fresh. And don't keep anything. If I had you write down in the margin of your Bible right now, just a little note, 2011, need to throw out, what would you write? Every year we do spring cleaning. Every time you guys moved from one base to another base, one fort to another fort, what'd you do? You had to decide what you could take and what you needed to get rid of. If you're going to be totally battle ready in 2011, you're going to be effective, combat, skinny down, ready to serve Jesus, what do you need to get rid of? What have you been dragging around in your life for the last 30, 40, 50, 100 years for some of you? What do you need to cut loose? Have you got anything in your life that you're intermarried with that is not of God? Any ideas? Any thoughts? Any philosophies? Here's the way you test it. When you're talking to somebody, see how often these words come out of your mouth. Well, in my opinion, if you ask me, anytime you hear that rather than, well, you know, the Bible clearly says... Then you've got something that you're intermarried to that you need to get rid of. Because you're intermarried to your own opinion, you're intermarried to your own thinking, and God has no respect for your thinking. He has respect for his word and how obedient you are to it. I know that stings because it hurts me. 
Because sometimes I, like everybody else, think I've got a beat on something and I flip the page in the Bible for early morning prayer and God goes, I don't think so. Read. You know, God has to correct your opinion on some things because that's what God does. He keeps training us up over the years. So you got to get rid of everything. He says he's giving you this life. You must devote everything to him, completely destroy what is not from him, what is not from his hand, not from his word, and show no mercy to anything that you need to get rid of. Now, I always say this. You can have friends who are not believers. I have a friend who's an atheist. Love him to death. But when I am with him, my mind says one thing. What am I showing him of Jesus Christ? Because here's the thing. If he's my friend... My first and only goal is to show him Christ that he might be saved. Because here's the thing, I firmly believe. The church of today has forgotten that hell is real. God created heaven. We all are willing to admit that one. We all want to go there. Here's the thing. Hell is for everybody that has not asked Jesus Christ to save them. You can be a great person. You can be a deacon. You can be a pastor. You can be a large contributor to a ministry. And if you've not asked Christ to save you, you go into hell. And that's all there is to it. And that's terrible. It shouldn't be that way. It should not be that way. But we are intermarried to our own idea. We have our own gods set up there for us to worship. To that point, let's do this. Deuteronomy 7, 4 and 5. Why don't you keep anything? I said it spoils the meal. Your life in Christ is like one incredibly beautiful wedding banquet. You've been invited to God's house to feast upon his word, to feast upon what he has for you, to feast upon all his, his beauty and his loveliness and his holiness and his righteousness and the rich foods that come from the Psalms and from Proverbs, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, First and Second Corinthians, all these wonderful meals that God has set before you. But if you start sprinkling in anything from the world, anybody else's opinion, anybody else's interpretation, you're going to spoil that beautiful meal that's sitting right in front of you. Take a look at it. Deuteronomy 7, 4 and 5 says this, For they would turn away your sons from following me to serve other gods. Then the anger of Yahweh would be kindled against you, and he would destroy you quickly. But thus shall you deal with them. You shall break down their altars, dash in pieces their pillars, chop down their ashram, and burn their carved figures with fire. This is how they were to treat the people of that promised land. You already know they're to kill every single one of them. Kill every single living thing in that land. Don't let any remnant of that idolatry last. Remember I told you? They could look and they could see that land. They could see in that land all the pagan worship, all the temples of prostitution, all of the things that were going on, the drunkenness, the, the drug use, everything that was happening in those churches that was being condoned by the people of that land. They had to get rid of it. Now why can't you intermarry with people who are not Christians? Here's your answer in verse 4. They will turn away your sons from following me to serve other gods. Now today in America, here's the thing. Our sons marry non-Christian women. There's always a saying, ladies, you may not know this, but every, here, every man knows it. There's two types of girls in life, gentlemen. Those you date, those you take home to your mama. And they ain't the same girl. You know what I mean, boys? Here's the thing. If you wouldn't take her home to mama, don't date her. Okay? Keep you out of trouble. Because you see, here's the thing. Everybody wants to live on that wild side. Dance on that line of danger. And when you find somebody who's not a believer, someone who's not constrained by all your ideas, who's not held in by an obedience to Christ. You know, I've heard people say, this was in our old church in Taiwan. 
All the old ladies would say, I would rather my daughter marry a rich Chinese pagan than a poor American Christian. And I know it's exactly the same in Korean culture. You know how I know it? I've been asked to do the weddings afterwards when you want me to beat your son-in-laws into faith in Christ. I got news for you. When you marry a pagan, you know what you get? A pagan. Once they got your daughter, do they got to change? No, they already got what they want. They're already married. Why is it we feel we can play games with the Word of God and not be obedient? How is that possible? How do we make excuses for not being obedient? If you have somebody over you, someone over you with authority and power, and they are not obedient to God, where are they going to lead you? Into obedience? Into disobedience. Any idea, any book you read, any secular scholar, any TV host or TV star who writes a book and that book is not Christian, it is not devoted to the person of Jesus Christ, and they set out a philosophy for their life, you read that book, that poison gets in your brain and it's not going to draw you to Jesus, it's going to lead you away from Him. Every movie you watch that is not honoring God is not going to lead you to Jesus, it's going to lead you away from Jesus. Does that mean y'all gonna watch Disney? Please, no, let's not be stupid here. Even Disney ain't Disney anymore. All I'm saying is this, be careful what goes into your head. If you see it, if you hear it, if you taste it, if you touch it, if you lay hands on it, it's gonna change how you live your life. And every little change takes you that much further away from the Father and away from the Word. It will lead you away from into serving other gods. And those gods might be money, Education, public acclaim, fame, power, prestige, position. Anybody in here, would you sell your left eye for a million dollars? Some of you would. Would you sell both eyes for $10 million? Not unless you're stupid. Here's the thing. We might think, I can go through life with one eye for a million bucks, but if I got no eyes, I can't enjoy the money. <laughs> That's how it goes. You know what I'm saying? If God blesses you to be born blind, okay, he gonna give you the tools to deal with that. But why would you willingly give up something like that just for something as stupid as money? Better question, would you give up your day with the Lord to make a little more cash? That's one I don't want an answer to because I already know it. How many people say, I have to work 12 hours a day, seven days a week now, but when I get older, when I retire, then I'll serve God. Guess what? My dad worked 12 hours a day, seven days a week. All the working days of his life, when he retired, he was so busted up, so sick, so frail, he never went back to church. He waited to serve God until he got done making his money. And you know what? He dropped dead, never having the chance to go back and serve the Lord. Don't waste what God's given you by getting married to something else that ain't worthy of God, that ain't worthy of what he's doing with us. If you go on down, it says, if you do this, Yahweh your God will be kindled against you. The words literally mean that the breath of his nostrils will be like a destroying fire. You know, you've all seen your parents get angry and you yourself have seen yourself get angry and your nostrils flare and you get all red. That's what this is meaning. This is what this looks like. God's face would turn angry. Instead of a face of blessing, a face of love, a face of protection, you have a face of wrath and anger coming straight at you. And when it's God's face, that's a big wrath. So that's the thing he says here. Don't let your sons be turned away because just as surely as God brought you in the land, he's going to kick them out the land. What happened to Israel in 70 AD? They got kicked out the land because they kept being unfaithful. They got carried away in Babylonian captivity for 70 years. But God brought them back and said, now I told you once, be faithful. Here's your chance. Nope. Unfaithful again. See ya. 
they finally came back. Now they're lucky this time. The word of God says they'll never be dispossessed again. So they're back in the land, but what are they doing with it? Are they being blessed by it? Do they have peace? Do they have security at their borders? The way God had promised to their fathers if they would be faithful? No. Israel is unfaithful. It is intermarried with the world. It has given up its rights. And God is slowly going to lift his hands of protection off them. They will not be annihilated, but they will learn what it means to be disobedient to a holy God. Look at the very last part, very last part. But thus shall you deal with them. You shall break down their altars, dash in pieces their pillars, chop down their ashram, and burn their carved images with fire. Why would you do that? These are historical artifacts. These are pieces of art. They had a museum showing at the uh, Seattle, whatever that thing is. Anyways, it was, it was modern erotica. Hey, what the heck is that? It was pornographic art and displays. And the people went there, they paid huge amounts of money to go see all these really nasty things. And I'm like, when did this become art? <laughs> because we have forsaken an idea of what it means to chop down the ashram, burn the carved images. We have made gods of things that are not worthy. Now it says in 1 John 2, 15 and 16, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. What do we love most today? The world and the things in the world. What I can touch, what I can taste, what I can eat. My God is my belly, my God is my eyes. What I can possess, what I can put in a storage shed. Americans, dead broke, got their houses filled with junk, and they got two, three, four storage sheds full of more junk they ain't seen in 30 years. What's the purpose in that? They get a word from the people. Hoarders. There's hoarders out there. How can you have so much junk in a world where so many folks got nothing? It just don't make no sense to me. But it goes on in 1 John 16 says this. So it says, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world, such as the lust of the flesh, anything that feels good. And that can be uh, soft, sumptuous cashmere sweaters. It might be leather slippers. It might be jewels, diamonds, that stinky water you put on yourself when you've been sweating too much. It can be anything that feels good. The lust of the flesh. Ah, the lust of the eyes. Anything I love to look at. Anything I want to find. 55-inch plasma television. I saw it today. I had one of them ah, moments. It was like 55 high definition. No. But then I looked up and said, you know what? The lust of the flesh and the lust of the... If I bought that, God would just break it. You he wouldn't let me have it. So there's no... I rejected that name of Jesus. Get behind me. And the pride of life. Now last night, we had that verse. They read in another translation. It said, the pride of our possessions. I like that. That was a neat... The pride of life is what? What we own. What we show off. What we hold up as our achievement in life. My achievement in life should be that I've been faithful to God. And when I get to the foot of the throne, he's going to say, well done, good and faithful servant. Yeah, you screwed up most of your life. But on the odd occasion, you did get it right and you did serve me. And I'm going to hold on to grace all the way into heaven. You know, skin of your teeth and all. But uh, that's exactly what it means. And you know what? Anything that stays behind, anything that remains in our life, it's just going to wreck our spiritual peace. It's just going to ruin our joy. It's just going to detract us and distract us away from doing what we need to do. It will spoil the banquet feast that God has set before me. Because, I mean, I would rather read this science fiction book than the Bible. You ever notice that some people can read 900 pages of Harry Plopper and they can't read one page of the Bible? You ever notice that? They can read three vampire novels. Them things are like 700 pages each. 714. Yeah, 2,100 pages of vampires and people getting bit and stuff. And they can't read one chapter 
out of God's word when that's the feast that provides life Amen. and strength. And they say they're Christians, and maybe they are. I don't want to say that if you don't read your Bible at least once a week, you're not saved. I'm just saying you're going to be very anemic and very sick and very weak and very confused. And that's when the world pounces on you like a big werewolf thing jumping on you. So, my question is, are you ready for a clean slate? Are you ready for a clean start tonight? I mean, we're going into 2011. Saturday's the first day of the year. You know, we're going to be here for the uh, 6 a.m. early bird service, and we're going to just get ourselves off on the right foot for the year. So are you ready? So one, get rid of the old mistakes and superstitions. Whatever you've been hanging on to, whatever you've been dragging around, Ebenezer Scrooge, get that thing off your leg. Quit letting it tie you back. Quit letting it, let it be a burden to you. Cut it loose. Whatever you've done, whatever mistakes, well, however you acted that was inappropriate, well then get rid of it. It's time to move past all that stuff. They was leaving the desert, going to the promised land. All they had to do was wipe out everything ahead of them and start all over again. Start all over again. Build brand new churches. You know, do new things in the fields and all. Second, consecrate your life and your relationships to Christ's service. So your life should be focused about being with God's people, learning from God's word, limiting our involvement with the world. I'm not saying you can't hang out with non-Christians. I hang out with non-Christians all the time. Heck, I'm always in church. Y'all didn't get that one, did you? <laughs> Went right by you. Anyways, <laughs> but guard your heart. Guard your mind. Like you said, the eye gates, the ear gates. Watch that what you're getting from around you, that you're not surrounding yourself with pagans 90% of the time and believers 10%. Otherwise, you will look like the people you hang around with. If you hang around with on fire lit up Christians, that's what you're going to be. If you hang around with the walking living dead, that's what you're going to be. If you hang around with the zombies, well, they're going to eat brains. Last one. Don't carry anything from who you were into who you are. Whatever you used to think, however you used to do, whatever uh, sayings you used to use, uh, one I always hate is, pull yourself up by your bootstraps. You know, that is such an unbiblical statement. That is an anti-biblical statement. To pull yourself, it should be, allow God to pull you up by His grace and then hang on for dear life. Yeah, you got to do the work. you got to get out there and do it. But it ain't you that is going to get all the praise for it. Here's the dumb one. Follow your heart. The Bible says the heart is desperately wicked and deceitful above all things. How about this one? How about follow the word of God? Follow the Bible even when it goes against your heart. Because our heart is for the world. Our heart is for the things we see. Our heart is for evil. The word of God is going to point us where we need to be. Amen? Amen? If you want a clean slate, you want a new start for the new year, those are the things I find in the word of God. I, I invite you, go back. Look at verses 1 through 5 and also 6 and 7 and go ahead and look at it. Study it. See that I told you the right thing. Prove that the word of God says that. And then if that's what it says, that's what we have to do. Hey, thank you for visiting our podcast today. Both Words from the Wildwood and From the Archives are presented to you by our family as an offering to Almighty God in the hope that they will help you grow in your understanding of God's amazing Word. If what you hear has been a blessing, consider supporting our efforts by sending us your prayers and by letting others know where they can hear us on local podcasts. If you are in the U.S. and you are able to help in any way, shape, or form, please send any support to Richard Stidham, S-T-I-D-H-A-M, P.O. Box 1321, Baytown, Texas 77522. If you are outside the States, 
God bless you and share Jesus with those that you can. God bless and we'll be back soon.